The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Everyone comes to church desperately hoping to hear some good old-fashioned biblical history. I have no doubt that from the moment you woke up this morning, your hearts were yearning for lessons about the ancient church. As you drove here with your families, I am certain the conversations in your cars escalated with excitement and anticipation, speculating on what we would learn today about the prophets, the Babylonian exile, and the disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's rip this thing off like a band-aid. Hang with me. This won't take long, but it's important to offer some context to our first reading, which eventually ties in with our gospel reading, which subsequently lays a foundation for this sermon. So much to accomplish in such little time, so here we go. The book of Isaiah is divided into three parts. Each part has different authorship. The second part of Isaiah, where our first reading today comes from, was actually written by an unnamed prophet who is sometimes called Isaiah of Babylon. The reason this prophet earned this name is because he wrote at a time when God's people had been taken away from their home in Jerusalem to live in exile in Babylon. Isaiah of Babylon was called by God to bring words of comfort to these exiled people and to promise them that God would free them and would bring them home. This promise was fulfilled decades later when Babylon was captured by Persia and the Persian ruler Cyrus allowed the exiles to return home and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and begin their lives anew. In all of this, 
Both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, were caught between the great powers of the day, Egypt to the south and west, Assyria and Babylon to the north and east. Against this political backdrop, the task of the prophetic voices contained within the book of Isaiah was to announce to the people that God was at work, that God was with them, that God will never abandon them. For Isaiah, history is not merely a stage upon which human actors play, but instead is the very arena where God acts by guiding, comforting, challenging, and liberating first God's chosen people, and finally all the peoples of the world. The task that lies before Isaiah of Babylon is enormous and seemingly insurmountable. How do you reassure an exiled people who have lost hope and faith? It seems impossible. Listen to me, Isaiah cries out. Long ago, God called me to speak to you and bring you words of assurance and hope. Then his tone changes. But now, he says, I see that it has amounted to nothing. All my work, all my words have been a waste. This isn't, there's a name for what Isaiah of Babylon is describing. They didn't have it in the 6th century BCE, but we have it now. It is called imposter syndrome. This is a psychological occurrence in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. Isaiah acknowledges that God has called him, but is convinced that he has labored in vain, that he has failed God. So God replies to Isaiah of Babylon by saying, you know what, Isaiah of Babylon, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. Room for dramatic pause. God says, I'm going to give you more work. Not only do I want you to comfort my chosen people of Israel, but now I want you to be a light to all people so that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. I know you. You can do this. Even when Isaiah doubts his voice, his vocation, indeed his very identity, God values him and continues to raise him up as a powerful voice to all people. Just when Isaiah declares himself most untrustworthy, God entrusts him with his most precious task of being a prophetic voice to all the nations of the earth. Isaiah of Babylon sees himself as worthless, but God sees him as worthy. Fast forward hundreds of years, and we find John the Baptist hanging out. He sees Jesus for the very first time, and he cries out, Look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And with that announcement, the age of prophets closes. No longer are prophetic words required to comfort people and fill them with hope, because now the very embodiment of comfort and hope walks among us in flesh like ours, and his name is Jesus. Jesus begins to gather his disciples, first Andrew, then Simon. He gives Simon a new name, Peter, Cephas. You are now Cephas, Jesus declares, which means rock. While it is true this refers to the fact that 
Peter, Cephas, is the foundation upon which Jesus builds his church, one to whom Jesus literally gives the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It is also true that we might respectfully call him Blockhead. You know, like Charlie Brown's nickname that Lucy always calls him, because over and over again, Peter Cephas doesn't get it. His name kind of doesn't stick. He seems more like quicksand, really, because he keeps sinking. Peter steps out onto the rough sea to meet Jesus walking on the water, but is overcome by doubt and almost drowns like a sinking stone. Later on in the same Gospel of John, he doesn't get the whole washing of the feet thing and protests what Jesus is trying to illustrate as a heartbreakingly beautiful example of servant leadership. He repeatedly objects to Jesus' predictions of his own death, and even after Jesus is arrested, Peter denies ever even having known him three times. This rock, this foundation of the church, holder of the keys to the kingdom, this sinking stone, this blockhead, he is argumentative, skeptical, and weak, stubborn, mule-headed, thick-skulled. In fact, you could make the very convincing argument that Peter is the embodiment of imposter syndrome. Posing as a devoted and faithful disciple, but terrified of being exposed as a simple and scared fisherman. Worthless, perhaps? But Jesus sees him worthy enough to build his very own church on him. Jesus chooses Peter to carry on his message after he ascends to heaven, building on him a church which is called to preach against the political backdrop of its time, demanding justice, liberation, mercy, and love for all people, not because Peter has earned it through pedigree or merit, but because God declares it. Fast forward thousands of years, and we discover a man named Martin Luther King Jr., who was a Baptist minister and a political activist and one of the most prominent leaders in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. He advanced civil rights for people of color in the U.S. through nonviolence and civil disobedience. Inspired by his Christian beliefs and the nonviolent activism of Mahatma Gandhi, King led targeted nonviolent resistance against Jim Crow laws and many other forms of discrimination. And yet, while he was fighting for the rights of others, King admits his greatest weakness was fear. In fact, at one point, he was so overcome by fear that he considered stepping down from his role as activist and leader. King was afraid of being exposed as a scared black man, but for very good reason. He was violently attacked several times. He received countless threatening phone calls and letters. His home was bombed and set on fire. He was stabbed. Imposter syndrome, fear of being exposed as a vulnerable and terrified human being instead of the fearless, invincible leader others saw, but nonetheless called by God to carry the torch, to challenge authoritative powers that oppressed his people, to lay down everything, put everything on the line when it comes to ending discrimination and intolerance and division. 
Martin Luther King Jr. saw himself as afraid and unworthy, but God knew him to be most worthy. Imposter syndrome, fear of being exposed as a fake and a fraud, the fear of revealing to others my greatest insecurities and doubts, the fear of not knowing enough, not being good enough, not being worthy, the fear of being exposed as insufficient, inadequate, lesser than, the fear of exposing my sexual orientation, my political affiliation, my address, my income, my race, my phobias, my intolerances, my vulnerabilities, my greatest sins, my crimes, my hate, my fear of being exposed as flawed, broken, destroyed, my unspeakable terror at being exposed as the human being that I am. But here's the thing, God knows all that. Even before you were swimming around in your mother's womb, God knew everything about you, including those things you desperately try to hide from other people. And God loves all of it, loves all of you. Those things you shamefully spend your life hiding, as well as those things you proudly reveal to the world. Isaiah of Babylon prophesied a savior who would come as a light to all nations and to all people, and he has arrived. Christmas Jesus is the light of the world whose light shines brightly in those darkest corners of all human souls, of your human soul, and the darkness will not overcome it. Amen.